Good morning. It's 8.35 here in New York City. Um, today is Monday, December 11th, and you're listening to Monday Morningside on WKCR. That's our variety news show, and today I have a very special guest with me here in the studio. Uh, Macy, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hello, you guys. Uh, my name is Macy, and I'm super happy to announce that I will be taking over Monday Morningside next semester while Josh is away. Yep. Yep. Um, yes, it's going to be... You're in very good hands. Um, I unfortunately have to leave for, for study abroad next spring, um, but yeah, in 2024, Macy will be on the mic here in WKCR doing Monday Morningside. Um, yeah. Um, I'm realizing that I don't know a whole lot about you. Um, <laughs> do you want to say a little bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. So I'm originally from Connecticut, which is not, not too far away for any East Coasters out there. Um, and this is actually my first year here in New York City. I've been in Dublin for the past two years as part of Columbia's dual bachelor's program with Trinity College. Right, yeah. It's feeling... Like a like a Dublin day today in New York. It's it's it really is. And cold. Yeah, absolutely. Feels like home. Yeah. How did how did you like Dublin? Oh, I loved it. It's such a fun city. Um, I'm going back in March actually for oh, okay. for spring break. I know uh, Patty's Day <laughs> <laughs> should be fun. All right. Well, it's been super fun for me to host Monday Morning Side. I've been doing it, I think now like, yeah, like almost a year and a half. So, it's it's a fun show, um, and. Yeah, I think we have a great episode prepared today. And it's actually funny that you mentioned the the Trinity program because um, our first segment is uh, a reading from the Blue and White by another Trinity dual degree person, um, Vivian Sweet. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, right, one of our I'm own. Sure, yeah, I'm sure you know. Um, um, yeah, so so we have a great show for you to prepared today. Um, and as always, you can find previous episodes on, on Spotify and other pod, podcast platforms if you look up Monday Morningside. Um, but this first segment that we're going to introduce is um, an, a Blue Note, which is a short essay from the, the Blue and White magazine, um, which you can find at theblueandwhite.org. The, the essay is called Altruism Butchered, um, once again by Vivian Sweet. And it's a, it's a fun read. Um, Vivian's going to read the whole thing in our com- and then we're going to talk a little bit about it after. Um, but we had a great conversation. Um, yeah, this essay, this Blue Note is about um, the the animal rights activists. Do do you remember this early on this year? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we've had a lot of activism on campus this semester. Yes, that definitely. That was a notable one. Yeah, sure. that was yeah, that was um, from from early early October, I think. Um, yeah. So this is a great conversation, and I hope you enjoy. Once again, if you want to read along um, with with the reading. You can find it at theblueandwhite.org. Um, this is our conversation about altruism butchered. I'm here with Vivian Sweet. How are you doing today, Vivian? I'm good. Uh, I've been soaked like three times today because <laughs> I did not know it would be down torrential downpouring. It's a rainy Sunday. Um, it's a slow Sunday, but luckily Vivian took some time out of her her day to 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 do a reading from. Um, this is we're going to be reading uh, a piece from the most recent edition of the Blue and White, the the November issue. Uh, Vivian wrote a, a blue note called "Altruism Butchered." You can find it at theblueandwhite.org. You can read along with us. Do you want to say anything just to 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 to, 
to preface to preface this this yeah, reading I, I i feel the the piece sort of speaks for itself but um it's kind of hard to if you haven't been to columbia and, and you haven't been sort of like harassed or even experienced the 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 like the slew of campus canvassers um this kind of gives an insight into what walking past the sundial is like on any any given uh yeah Tuesday. <laughs> any given <laughs> if, monday if, exactly yeah if it's not if it's not um these animal rights activists it's yeah. it's um any number of yeah, <laughs> canvassers true. you're totally right um yeah. great so um yeah without any further ado let's get into it once again it's called altruism butchered um and you can read along we're going to read the whole thing but you can read along with us and find the rest of the november issue um at the blue and white dot o-r-g Altruism Butchered by Vivian Sweet Amid posters urging students to audition for sketch comedy groups and participate in a sustainable Halloween costume swap, an advertisement for a tasting hosted by Elwood's organic dog meat stuck out. Something was clearly amiss. Framed by a giant golden retriever looming over a tray of red meat, the event's description was surprisingly laconic, indicating only when, October 5th, 2023, and where, the sundial. Beyond a QR code to visit the farm, the poster bore few other details. I'm sure that most passersby instantaneously realized that the poster was a cheap attempt at rousing attention by a veganism awareness organization, but their website took great pains to masquerade as an earnest family farm. I perused nearly half the site before realizing that the organization was satirical. The giveaway? A listing under the vegetarian section that led with, little known fact, Pomeranians lay eggs. Prospective buyers, a dozen will set you back $1.51. Pomeranians don't lay eggs, this I know, but the lie's directness caught me off guard. Many parody projects will make claims so explicitly false that everyone can safely laugh at them, eradicating the hierarchy of joke maker and joke victim. The punchline of the birds aren't real campaign, for example, is that birds are in fact very real. And satirical organizations that do straddle the line between truth and fiction tend to avoid jokes with troubling moral implications. Yet Elwood's organic dog meat falls in neither category. Why would an organization fighting against animal cruelty labor to visit colleges, publish weekly articles, and create merchandise to promote a lie? Puzzled, I went to their free sampling in the spirit of investigative journalism. There was no free dog meat. There was, however, a blow-up husky and eager spokespeople with shirts and hats branded with their choice slogans, Mmm, pug, bacon, and delicious dog since 1981. Students remained impassive as they hurried by the stand, having long since tuned out the moral pleas of campus canvassers. I was the perfect candidate to be wooed into veganism, a lapsed vegetarian, ambivalent about my meat consumption, a lover of both tofu and productive ideological sparring. I spoke at length with a young woman who told me that the advocacy group, founded in 1981 to promote veganism, is family-owned and operated. Although their website explicitly details the process by which the dogs on Elwood's organic dog meat farm are hypothetically bred, killed, and eaten, they had dropped the act in person. Instead, Elwood's representatives opted to urge passersby to go vegan for a singular day for the sake of their own dogs. When I asked why they didn't host any fundraisers to directly combat animal farms, she clarified that Elwood's organic dog meat was primarily a canvassing operation that had successfully converted a nebulous amount of college students to veganism. When I suggested that there were racist underpinnings to the demonization of eating dogs, she argued that all meat consumption should be demonized and helpfully pointed me to their online FAQs regarding accusations of xenophobia. 
It reads, regarding the hurtful stereotypes around cultures that do eat dog meat, we do not condone them. We were getting nowhere. I'm sorry, I just don't see how spreading misinformation is a productive way to promote veganism, I said. What are you doing to fight animal cruelty? She retorted. You have a point, I admitted. I left the dog meat sampling protrubed and less inclined to consider veganism than when I had arrived. When walking away, I spoke to some similarly unsettled students, vegans and meat eaters alike, who expressed their frustration at the cruel and effective use of dogs in the name of the fight against animal cruelty. They're not changing anyone's minds, one vegetarian remarked. The merit of their advocacy was irreparably offset by the moral absurdism of their approach. I was doom-scrolling through their website's FAQ section when I noticed that the rhetoric of Elwood's organic dog meat had lost all its dwindling earnestness that I gleaned from its canvassers in person, shifting from an emphatic plea to consider veganism to an altruistic parody of the relationship between animals and humans. If you were locked in a room with a live dog and an apple, what would you eat first? The first question asked. In such a situation, I think I would ask to be let out. Don't force your views on me, another FAQ read. Isn't it my personal choice to eat animals? The response. You can choose to be a racist or a rapist or beat your children or dog. When you choose to intentionally and unnecessarily hurt others or eat animals, you're putting your choice ahead of theirs. Does that seem fair? Perhaps not. But what is infinitely more unfair is the flippant whataboutism in equating eating animals to engaging in sexual violence, racism, and child abuse. And the result of such callous, ambivalent rhetoric? driving away their target audience, meat eaters, who didn't like being equated to dog killers, and estranging their allies, vegans, who felt that the organization grossly misrepresented their cause. As the day wound down, the purported dog meat harvesters deflated their blow-up huskies and rolled up the free sampling advertisement that had originally caught my eye. The straggling stream of students had notably begun to swerve around the sundial to avoid the canvassers, who were still haplessly passing out pamphlets. Without its shock value, Elwood's organic dog meat was not worth a second glance. Alienating meat-eaters and vegans alike, the campaign was a classic case of satire gone horribly awry, a morbid joke taken too far accompanied by a moral imperative forced upon unwilling passersby. In John Keats' poem, Ode on a Grecian Urn, a friend to man says, Beauty is truth. Truth, beauty. Perhaps that best explains why I found the falsehoods of Elwood's organic dog meat to be so ugly. That was, once again, Altruism Butchered um, by Vivian Sweet, uh, accompanied, um, we were just talking about this, accompanied by an excellent uh, illustration by mm-hmm. Phoebe Wagner. Um, yeah, it's it's a great piece. I guess, where did it, did you know you wanted to write about it um, when you first kind of came across the, the poster and went went to the, the, the sundial? Yeah, I mean, I think it actually, what happened was that I took a photo of the poster because I was I was so, so um, enraged that that was, uh, the, the poster is really jarring when you see it in person. I mean, it's yeah. this massive golden retriever, like larger, that proportionally, um, completely incorrect, uh, than a tray of, of dog meat that's actually just regular red meat. Um, yeah. And uh, I also thought it was really funny because the, um, the, I, we took out the title for some reason, but the um, or we took out the first line of the poster. But the first line is um, "dog meat?" question mark Totally delish in all caps. And I just thought it's like the totally delish is so. Uh, oh, I'm gonna use I'm gonna use a word that's super dated. Uh, chuggy. Like it's really it just felt like it was created by people who were super out of touch with what young people, especially college students, like think about um, 
moral issues. Like you wouldn't, if you were trying to incite um, some sort of like meaningful discussion around veganism, you wouldn't say like, oh my gosh, dog meat is totally delish. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just right. Yeah. I mean, I, I do. I also remember um, seeing that, po- which I remember seeing that poster, which is saying a lot because, yeah. it, you know, if if you're a student at Columbia, you know that those bulletin yes. boards are filled with things. And it's exactly it's, it really stood out. It was it was really like just kind of it, it felt very grating. That's something I wanted to ask you about, because with a lot of things like that, a lot of I mean, I think in in the culture there, we've seen mm-hmm. a lot of kind of just like over the top, specifically like kind of like PETA, yeah. um, you know, like animal advocacy groups mm-hmm. tend to go kind of over the top. And I think it does sometimes it rubs a lot of people the wrong way. And I think you do a good job of articulating kind of like why that is and the yeah. kind of, uh, especially that, that bit that you have about like, just like alienating mm-hmm. the people it's trying to get to. Like, yep. um, was that kind of, had you thought of that before or or was were you kind of figuring that out as you were writing? No, I was figuring it out. I just talked to people who were leaving the stand because not honestly, you know, there were so few people at the stand the whole day. And one thing mm-hmm. that I didn't write in the piece because um, it just felt too inflammatory, but it also so comical and difficult to describe like eloquently in writing. But the woman who I was speaking to, like by the end of the day, they moved into Lerner, which is this hall um, mm-hmm. and wh- where there are a ton of tables just lining. And, you know, th- th- it's mostly students at these tables. Um, but she was obviously a bit older than a student. She was just sitting there alone with like, and no one was coming. And it was just really like, it felt very sad. And, and um, when I was talking to people who were walking by, they were just like, I, I, this is not a cause I want to be associated with. You know, I, I am vegan and I'm emphatic about being vegan, but it's not um, at the expense of uh, faulty, like faulty or, or just like kind of callous and careless logic, right? Like if the FAQ section, which I which I wrote about um, in the last bit of the piece, um, you know, the, the, the way that these people, and I think it's also worth mentioning that it was a, a, a predominantly white male, like, 30 something group of people um you know to 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 write a FAQ section and say that you know if you when you eat animals um you might as well be like abusing your children or 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 engaging in other like really egregious acts of violence um there's a real disconnect there because that's just not the case um maybe I'm like yeah dog dog lives are and animal lives are necessarily and whether you like like are valued on a different um scale and uh I don't know it just it it, it was very uh off-putting to me yeah there is yeah there's something about the kind of um yeah just like very over the top and very mm-hmm. um yeah like you say it's 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 very callous it comes off it comes off very grating to yeah, me yeah yeah um grating which there, it's word. just such a an immediate response and I guess yeah, I remember coming across that that initial poster. Um, mm-hmm. I just I feel like I'm, I immediately was like, I don't want any. Don't I don't want to have to do, do anything yeah. to do with this. Um, yeah, and also I I want to talk a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You're a, a new student here this semester, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I know this about you already. Yeah. You, you transferred from <laughs> Trinity from College Dublin. Trinity I w- Dublin. Tra- transfer is the it's tra- transfer ish. Right. I, like, I always like the, to say transfer ish because yeah. I applied to this program knowing that um, I would spend my latter two years in Colombia, barring some right. unforeseen emergency. Um, yeah, you're right. That's the, the dual degree yeah, program. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this was also like early in your experience at right. Columbia. What was that like? It was, um, it, I don't know. It felt very emblematic of Columbia because one thing I realized when I saw the posters in Milstein, because the people at the stand, and again, I walk, I would say I walked by three or four times throughout the day, 
because they were older, I was not under the presumption that this was a student, this, that this organization had student chapters. But then I realized, how in the world would they have gotten into... They were in Milstein. You can kind of just walk in. It's the Barnard mm-hmm. Library, um, for which you don't have to actually swipe. You just have to stand by the door. But say Butler, right? There were posters mm-hmm. um, in Butler and Avery, and those I know you have to swipe to get in. So it's a bit confused. I was like, mm-hmm. and I looked it up, and it's you know, lo and behold, there is actually a student chapter of this organization. So I think. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, I think. So Con- were those those students who were kind of advocating? I I, I no like no the, right. the the people I talked to were not students. Okay. Maybe there were at some point. Um, I think it's maybe not the hill you would want to die on at Columbia with all of, like, there's just, um, I don't know. I feel like there's, there's, there's always, what's cool here is that like, there's seems to be a, a cause for everything. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that if you were to die on the hill of animal cruelty uh, and fighting that, fighting, you know, a really like insidious um, facet of our society, which is the like farms, right? Yeah. Of caged animals and, and whatnot. There are better means to do that. Um, yeah, absolutely. I feel like, um, I, I also, I will say though, I, I actually really love the campus, uh, canvassers. I think they're awesome. Like the, the people who from that church, I don't know what, uh, church there is, but you know who I'm talking about. they they they, they have two guitars. It's a, I think it's a, a, a Korean right, woman yeah. and this man who's like probably half her age and they just stand there strumming their guitars and like really like being like, please come to our church. Um, the consistency, you know, they're there like every other day. Um, right. and, or like the man who flips the bottles with his feet. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, who, uh, I forget his name, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. He works at the college. You know? He does. Yeah. yeah. Th- there's a spec piece about it recently. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think you. Yeah, what we were talking earlier is like, I'm sure, it's funny how how much is happening on College Walk. So mm-hmm. it, I mean, to, to those of you who maybe haven't been to to, to Columbia's campus, it's um, really nestled in the city. And part yeah. of what that means is that there's just a lot of it's it's great for people watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, it is. and and you do get a lot of you know people of. So a, a huge variety of mm-hmm. what this ki- type of canvassing yeah. looks like. Um, Can I ask you, Have yeah. are there any um, campus, ca- characters in the right word, because that's actually a term we use at, um, at uh, the Blue and White, which denotes uh, seniors who have right. contributed something notable to campus. But campus canvassers or just campus individuals that you see constantly that, or event or phenomenons that you, that, like I don't know you like <laughs> right yeah I mean it's funny how much it kind of I mean the bottle fl- the bottle flipping yeah. guy is like a great example I think mm-hmm. because it's like um it's you know when I first got here I think I was so like baffled and kind of amazed that there's this yeah. guy who uh, who dresses up in this crazy like morph suit and mm-hmm. and flips bottles into the trash can yeah um I mean it's it's funny how much it kind of becomes like background you know like yeah. noise um especially when you're like late f- late for class or something like that right but i think i think i don't know there's something i mean i think we've all become a lot more conscious of kind of the barriers to campus yeah. because of how often they've been kind of manipulated lately mm-hmm. um and it is it's i think it's something that you you do lose i guess like some element of the kind of fluidity between yeah. new york and and Columbia Absolutely. when when and that's something that I do kind of I kind of like that you have this like crazy kind of weird in between space between yeah 116th and 
115th or, wh- or whatever, you know, right. between Broadway and Amsterdam, I guess. Right. Like if you're walking, you know, prior to probably November, if you were walking on College Walk at around 9 p.m. on a given like Tuesday or Wednesday, I think it's I, I think it's the Asian American Society, though. I'm not sure. Um, we're practicing um, the like Lunar New Year uh, dragon dance. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or I don't even know if it was specifically for Lunar New Year, but um, I know like whenever my family and I would celebrate Lunar New Year, like we we. We, you would always go to Chinatown, see the, yeah. the parade. Um, and, you know, it's in the middle. It's at, at the sundial. Right. And it's loud and it's like beautifully obtrusive. And like it's 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 um, I think uh, it's like I love when people co-opt a space that mm-hmm. uh, does belong to them because it's like your neighborhood. It's your community. Like the guy yeah. who flips the bottles. Right. He works there. He gets getting paid by the school. The people who are doing the dragon dances, he they like also they pay to go to the school. So. I don't know. I like I like when campus is appropriated um, in any capacity. I, I honestly think it should occur more often. Yeah, no, I mean, I think and I think that's another thing that I was just thinking about when you're reading your piece is just how like it's um, that it does. It's not always, you know, it's not always comfortable. Yeah. Um, like in this case, mm-hmm. it, it was kind of like strange, but it's like. Yeah. I don't know. I guess that's part of having an, an open. That's part of what openness means sometimes as exactly. well. But I, I mean, clearly you were doing some interesting thinking <laughs> about. Um, yeah, just about like all of the things that yeah. go into into such a such an yeah, event. Yeah, and and parody. Parody is so difficult to get right. Um, yeah, I, seriously. It, I mean, like, right, like things like what stand up sketch comedy. That's hard enough, but but parody, um, it's really veers into cynic, um, cynical, like yeah. incredibly quickly, and it, it become it devolves into this like, I don't know, like self-aggrandizing, uh, holier than thou, um type of rhetoric that yeah. uh i i really struggle to empathize with them so maybe i'm you know i'm i was also just not i, I think i'm generally not the i'm not very cynical so i, I think yeah. I, I i i i'm more easily affected by people who are or organizations that are than maybe your average columbia student yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I, I i guess uh kind of a, a last question that i wanted mm-hmm. to ask is you 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 talked about it a little bit about um you know that you're you sympathize a lot and have been vegetarian yeah um, and I mean, I, I sympathize with it too. Mm-hmm. I guess like, what do you, what do you, what do you see as kind of a, a, a less grading, more kind of appropriate way to, to, to convince people? Because it is, I mean, there's so many people who are very defensive about, mm-hmm. um, you know, eating meat and, yeah. um, and I think, yeah, like stuff like this really rubs, rubs people the, the wrong way. What's a kind of way to mitigate that? Do you think? I, I think you there's. In, in some ways, I think there actually is no way to, like, if you are really trying to, there are some people who will die on the hill, right, like, of, of eating eating meat, and that's not a right they're willing to forsake. And to convince someone of anything re- requires some sort of, like, self-flagellation. Like, you have to either be like, well, my either my cause is, like, so worthy that I'm willing to say something outrageous or offend someone by trying to convince them, or I have to kind of let them come to that decision on their own. But I actually feel like, honestly, with with, with meat, with animal consumption specifically, um, for a lot of people, it, it takes visuals. It doesn't take... Mm. Like, you can tell someone, right, like, that every... Uh, it takes... I don't... Like, a cow releases whatever, like, methane in, into the air. I don't really know how... I don't actually know the statistics, the statistics myself, which is probably testament to the fact that, like, um, they're not that as like gripping as 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 yeah. maybe um, seeing like an image of a uh, chicken coop that's like really overstuffed is. Um, I mean, I became vegetarian myself after watching a documentary and reading half a book. 
um, and I relapsed when relapsed <laughs> into um, meat eating when I went to uh, Ireland and I had to cook food for myself. And honestly, there just weren't a ton of great vegetarian options there. Um, so I, I think it like it, you just really I, I don't know what the better. I honestly don't know what a better way is. I think sometimes it's just having more earnest conversations and, and yeah. leading with openness and not uh, judgment. Um, because it, I have like I have had friends who are vegetarians and we eat together and and. I've thought, oh, I could do this, right? I could do this. So I think to lead with grace and not with uh, judgment. That's my advice for Elwood's organic dog meat. Yeah, well, well, that's a that's a good a good point to end on. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, it Josh. I appreciate it. To you. you too. Um, yeah, once again, um, definitely stay tuned. Vivian's got two more pieces coming out in December, which is I think in like a week or so. Yeah, in a week. Yeah, so that'll be exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks again for coming. Thanks, Josh. Thanks to Vivian for joining me for that segment. Um, it's now 9 a.m. here in New York City. You're listening to WKCR FM New York and WKCR HD. That's 89.9 on the dial here in New York City and WKCR.org online. We're back in the studio. Um, Macy, you were saying that that um, you you also had a friend who, who kind of changed changed their went back to their meat eating habits in 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 trinity yeah it was super fascinating my um roommate of three years was a vegan for a long long time actually before we arrived in ireland and decided to abandon that practice because like it is a very different culture of Mm -hmm. farm to table there and you a know exactly where your products are coming from there's a lot stricter food quality regulations gmos hormones all that so like it is a very different ballpark. And I mean, granted, that comes with being in such a small country. It's a lot more accessible to get products from two hours away, you know, but it's interesting. Yeah, I think it does depend on on the place. Yeah, sure. I think so much of like the your relationship to your food is it, it is a really individual relationship, which is interesting mm-hmm. to think about. It's like, yeah, so I mean, yeah, I don't know how, how, how well I feel, feel about the the tactics used in that, yeah. that that article, but it's it's interesting. Everyone has their own relationship to, to where their food comes from. Mm-hmm. I do think there's a trope too of the overbearing vegan yeah. in our, in our society yeah. today. It's a yeah. bit of a running joke. So yeah, it's 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 tricky. But um, yeah, are you are you vegetarian? I'm not actually. Um, <laughs> well, um, I want to get to some of the the upcoming special broadcasts here at WKCR that you can look forward to. I think this Friday um, we have a Barry Harris broadcast. I think that's from their jazz department, so you can look forward to that. And then, of course, we have Bach Fest coming very soon. It'll be here before you know it. It's that time of year again. It's December 24th to December 31st. Bach music all day long. You're you're new here at WKCR. Are you mm-hmm. familiar with, with Bach Fest? I mean... Yeah, I've become familiar. It's fascinating <laughs> to me, but I do remember when I was doing my, my library and archive training, that was the one thing that stood out to me was the looming wall of oh, Bach yeah. that we have here. So, yeah. guys, just know it's not, it's, it really all exists in KCR. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's phenomenal. You go in there and it's just like a, an entire just bookcase filled with, with Bach mm-hmm. records. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's it's a fun tradition. 
Um, yeah, once again, it's December 24th, so Christmas Eve until New Year's. Um, yeah, solely the works of, of Bach, um, which is, is fun. And there's, I mean, you know, most of it is pretty traditional. It's good to listen to, um, you know, when you're home with your family during the holidays. Um, but some of it, I know there's some people who like to like push the envelope. There's <laughs> like some like, I know there's some like electric guitar. Yeah, I think there's and, some yeah. like remixes. So yeah. even if you're not a classical fan, you should really look at the schedule because there's something for everyone. Yeah, yeah, no, it'll. I, I'll have to tune in um, from from California because um, I'm in I'm in music hum this this semester, mm. so it's gotten me um, listening to a lot more classical music. Um, yeah. Um, okay, so you can look forward to Bachfest December twenty fourth, December thirty first, um, and then we'll have some 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 shows. You know, your usual programming. I know tomorrow night. Um, I believe the news and arts department um, will be doing this uh, a roundtable discussion with some of the the students who are are part of the coalition, uh, the CU Apartheid Divest, which is a, a co- coalition that was founded pretty recently um, after the Students for Justice in Palestine and uh, Jewish Voice for Peace for Peace chapters were were suspended here at Columbia, which you perhaps heard about. You can find. Our reporting on it, as well as um, other other reporting, if you look at the the podcast Monday Morning side on on Spotify or go to Columbia Spectator, you can find a lot of information about that. But tomorrow night at nine p.m., there'll be a roundtable discussion with a couple students who are a part of that um, that coalition. Um, yeah, but so what I want to turn to now is something I found from the 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 archives in WKCR, which you can find on our website wkcr.org um and and this is this is i believe from 2013 um because we have a lot of cool stuff in our archives here and i've always i've been wanting to play play some of it on monday morning side for a while um this one is about um el diario la prensa which is a collection of of photographs spanning over 40 years um which was this was produced by erica ghetto um, with with Professor Francis Negron Muntaner, um, who is who at the time was the director of the Center for S- the Study of Race and Ethnicity, or Caesar as it's commonly known here at um, at Columbia. Um, yeah, so 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 um, Professor Negron Muntaner um, curated the collection from from New York's oldest Spanish-speaking newspaper. Um, it's yeah, once again, I believe this was in 2013. Um, yeah, so so I want to turn to this this interview um, produced from WKCR back in yeah about 2013. So we have all sorts of cool in- archives on our website. You can listen to those. Um, yeah, so this is from um, Erica Ghetto and Professor Francis Negron Munner. So welcome to the studios. Today we are discussing the new acquisition that Columbia just received of El Diario La Prensa, the photographs. So I was wondering whether we could go through some background and whether you could actually introduce yourself first so listeners can get a little bit of your background. Sure. I'm really happy to be here. My name is Francis Negro Montaner. I am the director of the Center for the Study of Ethnicity and Race. And we are the partner to the library in this project of the Latino Arts and Activism Collection. Um, so 
how this project began was for a, a series of different things were going on. On, the, on my front, uh, I was increasingly doing research uh, about Latino New York, and I was finding that uh, a lot of the material that I was looking for uh, would actually be, in the process of me looking for it, would be tossed aside and never to be recovered. Uh, so I started to become very concerned about uh, the preservation of the Latino legacy of New York and, and where was it going to go and where was it going to be held. Um, so that was one of the motivations. Another set of motivations came from people that actually came to me asking, what should we do with the materials of our father or of, of someone that uh, they were holding their materials that could no longer dispose of them, yet they felt that they were valuable? Uh, so of those various needs, I guess, the collection was imagined and founded. And what was the curation process like? I think there are 39 boxes. Well, with the, with the materials of El Diario La Prensa, um, what has happened since, uh, I mean, this project started two years ago. So what has happened since is that now there's like a group of us, several of us, and we all keep our ears to the ground. And as we are interacting with different people in our work, uh, we sometimes come across someone that we think, oh, maybe this, this person might have a collection or maybe this person tells us they have a collection. And then we talk to each other and we start exploring. Uh, and the process generally begins with either an approach that's made to us or that we make an approach. And then what happens is that we take a look at what the materials are. Uh, sometimes we go to people's houses and the materials are all over the place. They're not organized. Uh, sometimes we go to um, storage uh, places and the material is all in boxes and there's tons of them. Uh, so we go through this first initial assessment of what is it, where is it, how much is it, uh, and then we continue the conversation with the person. Do they want to donate? Do they want to sell? Uh, do they have any specific requirements that they, they have in mind? And, and eventually, uh, if, the, if it's going to happen, uh, the person in charge will say, okay, this is how we want to proceed, and the collection travels to uh, the rare book and uh, manuscript library. Now, is it all photographs, or is there some text here as well? The collection from El Diario La Prensa consists of about 5,000 images starting in the 1970s to the present. Um, so, yes, I mean, they're, they're mostly photographs. Um, the early photographs are black and white for the most part, and then they become more color. There's also an, another technological shift that goes from analog to digital in the more recent. So you can see certain shifts that occur uh, in the collection. Uh, in terms of technology and also in terms of content. Yes. So in terms of content, which I'd love for us to discuss, what were some of the most striking images or surprising ones? Of course, I'm sure there's a diverse collection that you well, came the collection, across. The collection hasn't been totally processed yet, but I have sat with it uh, alongside other folks, uh, and we have done a preliminary assessment of what is in the, in the collection, uh, and we have sorted some of these images out in, in ver under various rubrics like cultural politics because we do plan to host a number of exhibits. So we've done a kind of a preliminary assessment of the materials because we aim to show them in various sites in the city. Um, what are the most striking images? Uh, for me, as someone who studies New York, uh, I'm always surprised that I'm surprised, you know. So when you find something that oh, my God, I didn't know this existed. It's always an interesting experience. Um, I've seen, I think of the, of the things that I, I find most interesting, um, I've seen images of events that I didn't know were staged in New York. 
like a Cuban parade. Um, uh, I also seen images of um, Central American immigrants uh, in the 80s holding a press conference, which would be, you know, normal enough, except that they're all hiding their faces, because this is a period of time where uh, they're undocumented, that there's a sanctuary movement, uh, you know, people are being deported, they're not being able to settle their status. Um, and it's, they're very dramatic, it's a very dramatic image. Um, I think during the 80s, you also see, um, and 90s, you also see a lot of uh, protests. Uh, you could see how active the Latino community was in the 80s and 90s on the street. Uh, and, and one of the most striking images uh, I've seen have to do with police brutality. Uh, for instance, images of, of a mother with a photo of their son that had, was killed by a police officer. Uh, that kind of photo actually was not that unusual during that period. Um, so I think what you what's striking about the collection as a whole, if you compare it to what a mainstream newspaper's collection would look like, is that it's at the level of quantity and quality. On the one hand, there are many more images of Latinos that you find in this collection, virtually all of them. Whereas if you compare that to a mainstream collection, you probably find a lot less. But also, it's the quality of the images. Uh, if, you, if you consider that in the Diario collection, you do have a very nuanced and broad palette of what life for Latinos is in the city. Everything from going to school, graduating from college, uh, activism, elected officials, um, everyday life, uh, playing music on the street, festivals. It's the kind of thing that a lot of these things that you don't really get if you consume the mainstream media alone. Um, so I think that's, that's uh, so I think on the level of amount of, of photos and, and density and range of experiences that the photos represent, uh, I think it's a, it's a treasure that, that we've acquired. And would you say that sort of the media representation of the Latino community in El Diario de la Prensa and the photos you've found versus mainstream culture sort of speaks to their actual representation in society as a, a distinct demographic group within New York's community? Actually, before I go to that, yeah. I mean, one thing I didn't say is that um, so one of the big differences is on the one hand, or, or one of the big differences is that in El Diario you have this broad sense of experience of Latinos in the city. When you look at the mainstream media, you're going to find that most representations of Latinos fit very narrow set of categories. Uh, uh, in fact, the vast majority of news stories to this day are mainly focused on Latinos as uh, lawbreakers, whether that's undocumented immigrants or criminals. Uh, so in that regard, the, the collection, the, the El Diario collection, serves to some extent in comparison to what you might see in the mainstream media as a way to expand people's understanding of what was Latino life in New York. It was not only about uh, low-wage labor and criminal activity, uh, which in, in the big scheme of things would be very small parts of life. Um, anyway, but going back to your question. Yes. So is this media representation of the Latino community 40 years ago, today, in the El Diario photos, is it sort of representative of how the Latino community fits in to New York's mainstream community? Well, I think the, the difference between Spanish language media in general, not only El Diario, and mainstream media, which is in English and it's aimed at so-called mainstream uh, audience, is also an issue of function and perspective. 
So, for instance, the mainstream media tends to represent and look at Latinos as foreigners or outsiders or minorities or somewhat marginal to, to American and America. Uh, El Diario's point of view is from the inside out. So it's not, uh, so in that regard, you have a more, a broader view. But also, El Diario and other newspapers like it not only look at things from the inside, they also at times, and, and I think maybe to this, to this moment in time, uh, have acted as advocates for the communities. So that's a very, also very different, um, perspective on what journalism should be about. In other words, in the mainstream press, the idea is that uh, that it has to be objective or the assumptions that good journalism is objective, uh, that it represents every point of view equally and so forth. And I think the, 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 the function of many of, of, of Spanish language media outlet has been not only to represent or to report accurately um, uh, and so forth, but it's also been to serve as an advocate and sometimes even as a shield uh, to the population that feels vulnerable, ignored, and marginalized by mainstream institutions. Uh, for instance, um, in earlier decades, not not the collection that we not not representing the collection we acquired, but in earlier decades and perhaps until the 60s, uh, people from the community, from the Latino community, would turn themselves in at El Diario and not at the at the police station. And one of the reasons apparently was because they would be photographed. At El Diario. So if anything went wrong at the police station, there would be evidence that when they walked in, they didn't look like that. So it gives you, uh, or when uh, there was um, uh, something that the community felt had been a violation and an outrage that had been ignored by the mainstream media, then the Spanish language media would step up and call attention to the matter. Eventually, it might be picked up by the mainstream media, and then attention would, would come to the issue. Uh, so that's another big distinction, I think, between historically the, this type of press and the mainstream press. Do you think that the Latino community's reliance on this sort of advocacy has changed in recent decades? I think to some extent because the role of newspapers in general has changed. Uh, so this idea that a newspaper uh, had the authority and the possibility of acting as an advocate effectively for a community I think it's not gone. I mean, I think a newspaper uh, can still uh, do some of these things, but we are living in a totally different media environment. So whereas before, I think people relied on professional media outlets to do this kind of work, today a lot of people have cell phones, a lot of people have computers, they can communicate themselves what the issue is. So for instance, it's not uncommon that today uh, an investigation is launched or the media itself arrives at a scene because a citizen has taken a photo of something that has happened. Uh, so in that regard, I don't think that uh, newspapers like El Diario have totally lost uh, their role as advocacy uh, or, or, or as an spokesperson to communities. Uh, but on the one hand, the media landscape has changed. So the citizen now is a lot more empowered to tell their own story. Um, and second, and I think there's another big difference that's chronicled, I think, in the collection is the number of Latinos in the 1980s and today is hugely different. As percentage, if just to look at it as percentage of the population, you're talking about uh, 30 some years ago where Latinos were 5, 7% of the population and today 17% of the population. And in areas like New York City, a third of the population. Uh, so, or, or in, and in other areas of, of, of the US, uh, over half of the population. So that's a very different landscape, not only technologically, but also demographically. 
And also demographically, I think it's significant that Columbia is housing these publications simply because we are between Washington Heights and uh, Harlem and whatnot. And I, I wonder if you could speak to our location. Well, yeah, I mean, like Columbia to me uh, is an ideal place to house uh, Latino materials in the city because it sits at such an intersection between communities. Uh, certainly, Washington Heights, East Harlem. Uh, and even uh, West Harlem is increasingly becoming Latino at this point. Uh, so Colombia's location and history uh, place it, uh, make it have a role in the history of Latinos more generally. And more specifically, even, I think the photos are housed or affiliated with Colombia's Latino Arts and Activism Archives, correct? Yes. So, I mean, how, how does the collection speak to the relationship between art and activism and specifically as it pertains to the city's Latin American community but also beyond that? I mean one of the reasons we we called it arts and activism was we wanted to focus it. Uh, There are other collections in the city that are uh, organized around a group let's say the Dominican archives or the Puerto Rican archives. Uh, We wanted our collection to be pan-Latino to include all Latino groups um, and intersections between Latino groups and others. Uh, and we were particularly um, interested in arts and or activists. Not necessarily all collections do both things, but it so happens that when you look at Latino activism in New York and you look at Latino arts in New York, there's often a relationship between the two. So the collection allows us to uh, gather materials from artists that may not have thought of themselves as particular political and political archives that there may be very little art uh, in the in the conventional sense in it but I suspect that a good portion of the materials that we're going to collect uh, have uh, bring those two things together uh, and and one of the one of the ways that they come together right now is that the that many of the collections and many of the people that we talk to about collections uh, individuals and even institutions, um, see their work as somewhat connecting the two. Like if you think about uh, Latino activism in New York City starting in the late 60s, early 70s, art became politicized and politics uh, in a way became an art form <laughs> uh, or, or required or depended or in dialogue with artists and artistic formations. And I think our, our, at the end of the day, when, when we acquire a few more collections, you're going to see these patterns a lot more clearly. So can we check out the collection soon? Is that open to the Columbia community and beyond? The Diarios collection? Yes. Uh, well, what happens after a collection is acquired is that it goes through a, pro- a processing uh, part. Uh, and right now, the two collections we have acquired uh, are in that part where it's being processed, uh, where it's being organized for the public. Uh, so although um, we can take requests at this point, it won't be totally open to the public until that process ends, which is in about a year more or less. And so we'll have to check back in with you again. Did we miss anything? Anything you'd like to um, go over? Yeah, I mean, I think a couple of things. One, in terms of access to the collection, uh, one of the things that was very important to us was that the collection was accessible. So there's this process where it's going to be sorted out and organized for, for access. But uh, as part of that process, we're also going to put some materials online, and there's also going to be public programming around the materials. The idea being that this is not only for experts or for scholars that can find these things, but for anyone in New York or outside of New York that's interested in getting a more nuanced and more complex idea of what New York was like and who was living there and how each uh, e- each and every group and each and every one uh, contributes to making New York what it is today. 
Well, great. Thank you so much for coming to the studios. We really appreciate it, and we're looking forward to keeping everyone updated on the project. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, once again, that was from the WKCR archives. You can find it at wkcr.org, and you can find more information about the El Diario uh, photo archive. Um, If you look it up, um, there's an article on Columbia News, um, which is about the acquisition. You can watch a little video that has been put together. Pretty interesting story, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, it's fascinating. I'm also sure, again, like they seem to have been working on making the archives public, so... Hopefully they've had some success there. I'm sure yeah, you yeah, it. yeah, definitely. But um, yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, um, I've heard really great things about Professor Negrunner, and just about Caesar in general. Um, it's one mm-hmm. of definitely one of the the most. Um, everyone who I I know who's involved with Caesar has really glowing things to say about it. So, yeah, I think obviously there's a lot of attention at college campuses at the moment. Um, and yeah, I think. Honestly, I mean, in my opinion, they're doing really impressive work, and they have been clearly for at least ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's ten years ago. That's so I know, wild. So funny. Wild um, to think that 2013 was ten years ago. In general. I know, I know. <laughs> Time flies. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's that's just about the last segment that I have planned today. Um, but thank you so much for listening, and thanks for coming on, Macy. Of course, I look forward to being with you guys next semester. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to to seeing what you do with the show. It's 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 changed a lot since I started, I think. But um, I'm I've it's been a lot of fun to host it. So thank you everyone who's listened to to Monday Morningside and yeah, um, joined joined in on the fun. Um, yeah. So so once again, it's it's now nine twenty four in the morning here in New York City. I think it's still pretty cold and pretty rainy here in the city, but um, hope you're all staying dry out there. Um, yeah, um, have a great rest of your day, and uh, thanks for listening. Once again, WKCR FM, WKCR HD, 89.9 on the dial here in New York City, and WKCR.org online.